Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Clive Anderson. Welcome to My 7 Wonders Live. In the My 7 Wonders podcast, I ask a special guest to select and talk about the seven wonders of his or her world. This episode is one of several we recorded in front of a live audience at the 2022 Edinburgh Festival Fringe. And the guest who joined me for this recording is a comedian, actress, writer, singer, a regular performer in Edinburgh, around the country and on TV comedy shows. So here we are with an enthusiastic Edinburgh Fringe audience exploring the seven wonders of Tiff Stevenson. Hello. Hello. There we go. Hello. So, I'll sit you down. I know it's a sudden, uh, or your proper stand-up comedian, you want your microphone in your hand. But... I do, and I also saw a clock on the table and I was like, oh my God, I immediately feel pressure. <laughs> you, you don't feel pressure. <laughs> and if I don't do it right, then people start rushing out to go and see the the other shows that they're going to go to, assuming they are. So welcome. Now you're a regular here at uh, the Edinburgh Festival. You've come for many years. Haven't you? I have, yeah, yes. quite a few. I think this is my tenth solo show. Yes, and uh, as I mentioned, you're also in. You sort of act. I think you started doing acting before you did stand-up comedy. Yep, I was uh, acting in various TV shows. One of the earlier things I did was I did an episode of The Office. Ooh, um, no, what was the that original, like? the the UK. Yes. It was it was really fun. Actually, at the time, I'd auditioned for a different part, and my agent at the time, no longer, so I can oh. do an impression of her. Yes. Said, darling, I think you do want to take this part because it's too small, and you're just going to be seen as this bit part actress. And I said, but the script's really funny. Yeah. And she was like, okay, fine, don't listen to me. Uh, and then I did it. And uh, yeah, it was it was a huge amount of fun. And no one knew that it was going to become this phenomenon no. at the time, obviously. You know, we were shooting in like Twickenham in a nightclub for three days. And, um, and I just knew the scripts were really funny. So that's why I wanted to do it. Um, and uh, yeah, and then it's gone on to be... You know, I used to get residual checks from it and I'd be like, what is this? And they they'd sold it in another country. Yeah. So it just like rumbled on and became bigger than yeah. we ever thought. That's good money, that, isn't it? When it comes in later, you haven't done any extra work for it. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, yeah. oh, a treat. <laughs> they've, elim they've eliminated most of those. So you're, you're lucky to get those. So what was that? What is that working with Rich, Ricky Gervais? Because he's quite a quite a character and, uh, and he's got his own opinions about everything. Yes. I mean, I think at the time Ricky was very much he was sort of open to suggestions from actors on, on his performance and stuff. That might have changed now. Because uh, <laughs> at, at the time, that was, that was sort of the breakthrough thing. I know he was doing sort of the 11 o'clock show and stuff, but he was like, you know, is my drunk acting good? And always the rule for me, if I'm doing drunk acting and I've done it quite a lot, I don't know why people see me yes. as an alcoholic, but um, <laughs> is always to act sober. 
um, yes. because drunk people are normally trying to find the fact that they're quite yeah. as drunk as they are. So, uh, yeah, so he was like open to suggestions and stuff from the cast and, and people improvising. And he was fun to work with. That was him and Stephen. So Stephen was sort of overseeing and directing as well yeah. on the episodes. Yeah. Right. Uh, now, just before we get on to your wonders, uh, the, the thing that's often noted about you in early life is your father, when you were growing up, ran Wembley Stadium, and that meant you met lots of famous people. I assumed from that, because that's the way my brain... Oh, you must have met lots of footballers. But then it goes on to... It mentions, you know, more rock stars and, and things like that. Yeah, he was, the, uh, he was the box office manager at Wembley when I was a kid. And so I think I didn't really... Igno it just means I'm not really impressed by a lot because <laughs> I met lots of people when I was a kid that I was like oh well you just meet these people yeah. like I went into Annie Len Lennox's dressing room and just like literally sat on her lap as she was doing her makeup backstage yes. which is so precocious isn't it yeah. um, but I had no idea she was just lovely and, and mm. warm and, and uh, I think I met John Moss from Culture Club yeah. and like he gave me a signed album and stuff but I just didn't really I wasn't really aware. I was more interested in the fact that in my dad's office, there were boxes of stationery and that you could get like, there'd be like a box of a hundred green pencils and a hundred pink yeah. pencils. And I was like, I can have one of each color and do some drawing. Yeah. And that, that was more exciting to me at the so time. So you, you could just wander around the dressing rooms of the, of the rich and famous. Those That's were more all innocent it, times. More yeah. innocent times. Yeah. All access passes. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so I, I don't think I quite, if it, if it was now, I would be probably overwhelmed with like having the opportunity to do that. But like back then I was just like, yes, dad's work. And I didn't, you know. Yeah. So he sometimes brought his work home with him as well. Did he brought home? Did he bring home rock stars, or was it just? Um, no, no. no okay. There's no rock. There's no. no rock stars that came home. I actually, what's interesting is that I remember very distinctly um, uh, that when my dad left, um, lots of friends left as well. So I learned quite a lot about people. Yeah. I think while well, my dad... Well, left his job. Well, left his job, yeah. yeah that, that lots of friends sort of disappeared that would be like, you know, you'd get Christmases and there'd be Fortnum and Mason hampers that would turn up. I remember this gigantic fish one year, I put my finger in it and it yeah. clamped down. I don't... And that's the only thing I remember of that. But I remember... Was stuff, it a living fish? Or? I don't know. I don't know whether it's a reflex or something that can still hmm. happen afterwards. That was just like a... You yeah. know, I, I was probably like six or seven. I just remember it. Um, and we used to get like this, come stay in our place for a holiday and come mm. and do, you know, and then when the job with all the perks went, a lot of people went with it. So that I learned a lot about humans. Oh, all right. <laughs> OK, well, let's, let's get on with your, your seven wonders. And we're kind of in that world because uh, your first wonder is Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, also, you know, the, the title of your podcast is one of their songs yes. and it's the alarm clock that wakes me up in the morning. Um, so when I set my alarm, I, I hear Stevie yeah. uh, singing Seven Wonders. I wondered if we should have had that music played in at the beginning or the end. But I thought it's a bit obvious to, uh, but now I'm slightly oh, regretting, no. I'm slightly <laughs> regretting it. Oh, no, it's something obvious. No, no, it's obvious as a sort of theme yeah. tune. But yes. no, I mean, you're entitled to have Fleetwood Mac. And they are, I'm sure people almost everywhere is familiar with them, but they are, they have lived a rock star life as yes. a band and individually <laughs> to the nth degree. If you think of anything that rock stars have ever done, they've done it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like this iconic example of the special relationship because it's Americans and Brits together combined all the best and worst parts yes. of that. Um, and I think for me, I mean, I used to 
You used to do a bit in my stand-up, actually, when you said about rock and roll lifestyle. I used to do a bit about Stevie Nicks, like how heroic it was that she would just do all of that because it can mess with your, your you know, there yeah. were, I was to say there were rumours of certain <laughs> substances. There you go. I can get away with that. No, um, you can get away <laughs> with, with beyond that. I've, I've, I've interviewed uh, Mick Fleetwood. And uh, so I looked up my notes for that. And I can't say if it's between them or just him. But he estimated $65 million worth of cocaine wow. that he had used. But I'd wow. say it might have been between them. It might have been just him. It might have been just that week. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> sorry, $60 million. I've added five. It $60 might, million. Yeah. It might have been after that disastrous Brit Awards with Samantha Fox. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember that. But, you know, only okay. um, a man and a woman can only hope for that level of rapport when they host <laughs> something together. Um, well, he, he's about <laughs> seven foot tall and she's about five foot tall. So <laughs> yeah. even on that level, they couldn't even get the camera shot to have them both in it could they um no no and i mean that whole period in time where they were all sort of sleeping with each other sleeping with other people yeah. um what two two things struck me so one was the stevie because it d did affect her voice i used to do a thing on stage where i'd do stevie nicks turning into cartman because she'd start beautifully yeah. and then eventually get really nasal. Um, can but you do uh, that without having a musical do... accompaniment? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Do you want a blast? Yes, I'm do a blast. Yeah. All right, okay. Uh, Stevie Nicks Cartman, all right. Um, <laughs> now here you go again, you say you want your freedom. But who am I to bring you down? It's only right that you should <laughs> Have you any dreams you'd like to share? Dreams of loneliness Like a heartbeat drives you mad Excellent. Uh, <laughs> let's see if I can get you to do an impersonation with each wonder. <laughs> but um, one of the central things about that, I think, is um, is the fact that Stevie and um, Christine had this amazing relationship. Yeah. That could have been like, um, I think that there's a, she joined the band and then she's like 10 years younger and is immediately put up as the front woman. Yes. And I think a lesser or a, a more insecure musician and writer yeah. um, would have like found that threatening. But but I read lots of interviews with them and they said, actually, they like when it was just one woman in the band, you had no voice. And then all of a sudden there was two of us and we could actually yeah. make changes and, yes. and push things forward. So I think for, from that point of view, I think, that that it was a really a great example of like female solidarity in like one of the biggest yeah. uh, rock groups in the world. Well, it's, a, it's an extraordinary history all around because the, the band was started as a blues band by Peter Green. Yes, and then because he was going through a bad patch, he kind of bequeathed it to Fleetwood and Mac, you know, uh, McVie. So they got the name. So the drummer and the bassist has that have then been in charge from then on. They've recruited and then married you know, girls that have come in, women who come in. And then Rumours, the album, is brilliant because instead of them writing songs about being rock stars and having too much money, they're writing songs about sleeping with each other, falling out, <laughs> having an argument. And it's a brilliant album. As a rotten, you know, one voice is singing about the, singing the words written by 
the, the writer who's fallen out with with the singer. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's quite it's quite yes. unbelievable. Uh, John John's got to play a song about Christine yeah. falling in love with a you make loving fun, and yeah. it's not about him. Yeah. <laughs> it's about the lighting director. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I love that. I love it. And then of course there was Stevie was had an affair with Mick at one point, yeah. and also just the skill like Lindsay Buckingham like for me is like one of the best guitar players in existence um so i just i mean that well, he's were, not in the band anymore he's been in and out hasn't he's he? been in and out and yeah. neil finn i think from um the crowdies who i absolutely love crowded house it has been All in right. sort of doing some shows but lindsey buckingham for me is you know i just don't know if it's the same without lindsey being there so well, they brought Lindsay in, but he brought Stevie in. Am I getting the right uh, combination? Yes, they, yes yeah. that's right. They were um, a couple at that stage. They were a couple, and they were at uh, Buckingham Knicks, I think it was called there. Yeah. Um, and they were, yeah, they were musically a couple and together as a couple. And then I think Mick was maybe at studios and mm. heard Lindsay and was like, we're looking for someone else. And uh, he sort of said, well, we're in a band together. So, you you know, you, you, take, you take both of us or, or none of us. And then Fleetwood Mac was in that version, that iteration is, was born and, yeah. So which, which, which period of Fleetwood Mac do you go for? Because they had the early blues, then they had a huge hit with Albatross, which is like nothing else. Yes. And then, and then they've got all you know, the rumours and then subsequent albums, which are... I am, I'm sort of about rumours and I'm sort of about the 80s. I'm kind of like, I, I, I was obsessed with this sort of Stevie... I think a lot of the things in my career has just basically been me trying to be Stevie Nicks in some version <laughs> or another. But, you know, the big hair, yeah. 80s, the gypsy fairy, I'm yeah. a, you know... yeah. Which <laughs> vibe? So, would you have liked to have been in a band like that? Because it's. Um, I think I would have. Yeah. Definitely. And my ego would say I'd want to be the lead singer. <laughs> yeah. So, would you have welcomed in another female singer to to balance it out? Or. Uh, uh, well, I would. I would. I would welcome in someone whose talents were different to my own. Yeah. And I think that's what what Christine recognised that Stevie just brought something very very different from. She has much more of an earthiness. You know, she's on yeah. keys. She's a songwriter. And and be- and the the blending of the voices, their their voices blended yeah. so well, yeah. so beautifully together. And sometimes, you know, it's just about finding the right people to make a bit yeah. of magic happen. And so for me, when I hear those songs and songs like Landslide, as I've got older, yeah. like when I hear songs like that, and and actually watching that played live and watching Stevie and Lindsay like yeah. kind of communicating with each other on stage. It's, it's really, really magical and beautiful, and quite well, like emotional. Well, this is a very, very good choice, I may say so. But I can't help being reminded that in, in his book, he's, there are times when they're, they're going to, to gigs, concerts in 14 separate stretch limos <laughs> uh, uh, because they're not talking to each other yeah. except on stage and they all have to have a limo he's he's ma- they've made fortunes of money though uh, mick fleetwood has been bankrupt twice uh, <laughs> in the course of all this uh, it's uh, it, it, rock star lifestyles are just fantastic to observe from the outside they do that for us to be entertaining they play the music and they have these ludicrous lifestyles but maybe you have this lifestyle as well I oh yeah know. i mean i've yeah. definitely i've yeah. used 15 independent limos at this festival <laughs> so um no i kind of i like i feel like it's all part of the journey and the art and that's rock and roll you've got to have you look at the eagles or you know like Mm. you 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 want to kind of see these grand big you don't want everyone to get along all the time because sometimes when the fights the passion comes out of that and they create brilliant things out of it so there has to be a push and pull if they all agreed with each other they probably wouldn't be making music as amazing as okay. it is. Well, that's certainly the logic for behind Fleetwood Mac. But uh, so your your second wonder is accents. 
And that's the only, I have that word. I don't know which <laughs> direction you're going with, whether it's punctuation in French or it is the way different people speak. I don't know. What. It's, it's, it's how people speak. Yeah. I find it endlessly fascinating, especially if I'm trying to create work or create a show. And often if I'm writing an Edinburgh show, snippets of overheard conversation can become basis of a whole routine. And, and the basis of accents, where they come from, why they sound a certain way. I was listening to... NPR last time I was in America and there was a man on he was I think he was from Alabama yeah. but as he was speaking it sounded like he was trying to swallow secrets the entire time <laughs> and I was just sort of fascinated to kind of go how did this yeah. voice appear and why does it evoke that he's like got something he doesn't want to say yeah. you know and I, I had a I was uh, on the High Line in New York and I overheard a fantastic this became a routine from from a show so it, it was back in about 2016 or 17. There was a tour guide and he had a he had a group of about 20 people. And I just heard him say, OK, this is pier number 27. This is where the Titanic was supposed to dock. Now we all know what happened here. Tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah. Right, hilarious, yeah. right? So I was stood with my partner and I was stood with my friends who we were staying with in New York and they saw me get the phone out and they were like, of course, because immediately I just wrote the sentence down and I was like this very kind of strong New York mm. accent, this guy. Um, and, and, and it took me a while to sort of figure out what that meant. I knew I wanted to put it in the show. I was like, oh, what's going to happen when he gets to the 9-11 memorial? This is terrifying, <laughs> you know. Um, and I was like, what, what, uh, what does this man represent? And sometimes it takes me a while, like I say, about six months of thinking on this and I realized in the context of the show and in the context of my brain this man represented all of us in the face of rolling news and tragedy mm. and you know um, extreme weather events and people dying and celebrities dying and you barely have time to acknowledge a tragedy or what's happened before you have to move on yes, yes. move on now because, the sports news yeah yeah yes. so it was about sort of about how we yeah. absorb you know the, the all of this stuff going on all the time we're in 24 hour and americans and british people do it very differently i think americans are used to that rolling news coverage and they have therapy and they're happy to talk about it whereas i think british people are a bit like what are you doing going to see a professional yeah. <laughs> you bring that you bring that to christmas dinner and ruin it like everyone else um so yeah so that was just so just hearing accents or hearing certain voices like my grandmother so my my um dad's side of the family are like scottish presbyterians so i would always like listen to my dad's side of the family their scottish accents they also my dad was born in Presswick, but they all had that kind of east coast of scotland and i'm always fascinated I'm when i Presswick's west coast of scotland uh, well he was born in Presswick, but they, they were my grandma was from st andrews so oh, they I were see. all, all right. like okay. east coast yeah. sorry yes should clarify no no yes, I'm, I, I shouldn't interrupt <laughs> no, okay. no. But, but people think Presswick. no Presswick is west i come from air Presswick's air yeah and my my now fiance is from air as well so uh uh-huh is a weird little sound they make there um but um but yeah so i always had and when i come here in fact i once Again, so this fascinates me, and I'm like, where does this come from? I rang the landlord in Edinburgh to pick up my keys one year, and this woman answered, and she went, good afternoon. <laughs> and I was like, is she holding on to the vowels in case the English steal them? What's <laughs> happening here? Um, so I'm sort of fascinated by that. You Very sort of, that was like my 
grandmother's side of the family. Mm-hmm. It's almost like that Professor McGonagall kind of, but it's a very proper sort of sound. Yes. And and I'm fascinated to like how that shapes and 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 why why does it have clips on certain words or you get um if you ever if you ever go to Los Angeles, there's a lot of particularly women in Los Angeles who talk like their voices running out of batteries. <laughs> like this kind of, if you've ever watched Selling Sunset, like yeah. they're like, hello, Heather, Kashal, yeah. And, <laughs> and then they, it's called vocal fry as well because they ah, 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 on the end of the words. Yeah. And I don't know how that developed. Um, yeah. Is it because men find it attractive if you sound like you're on 20%? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So I just hear a voice and I like no, to... No, I haven't had that pointed out before. That's, that's very good. <laughs> do, do you do it in Scotland? Because there's a, you know, Edinburgh and Glasgow are quite yeah. close together as cities, but they're completely different accents. They are, they are. And I'd probably not be uh, thanked for my attempt at a, a, a Ouija accent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot more, there's a lot more um, front of the mouth, I think, in, yeah. a, in, a, in a Glasgow accent. Are there any Glaswegians in? Yeah, the, uh, I, <laughs> I, yeah. one then. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like um, well, actually a, th- a, a fun thing that I used to do was do, um, and a comedian brought this up to me another night, uh, the other night, and I'd forgotten that I did it. It was like, do you remember when you used to do raps with different accents? So I would do like um, uh, like a Scottish vanilla ice or a like a Glaswegian okay. ice ice baby or that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And I would I would play around with just putting these different voices into different contexts. That for me is is fun and a fascinating. Yeah. How would you describe your accent? Well, RP. Well, I'd say it was a BBC accent. I'm quite, I'm quite good at some accents. I, I, I didn't know why this story came to mind. Before I was uh, on telly and radio and stuff, I was a barrister. And there was one occasion I was, I was prosecuting a case at the Old Bailey. Uh, the defendant was Glaswegian. But he lived in, and it was kind of like a clan war, but in somewhere in outer London. And my family's from Glasgow, so I could understand him. But literally nobody else in the court could. <laughs> the judge, judge is supposed to write everything down, and I could see the judge gave up because because he, he he wouldn't he had all got got all stopped, and, and and he obviously was giving evidence. He's embarrassed. He didn't want to give. He was uh, although he uh, got off most charges just because nobody could work out what had gone on. <laughs> so so it's a rare case of a barrister taking a story with him, particularly sexual. It was just the absurdity that. It, nobody could understand it, but that's uh, I was used to it. But um, uh, some American friends went to see Burns. I think the um, Burn, I think yeah. Alan yeah Alan yeah. Cumming was yeah. doing here, and they were like, we we didn't know what was happening. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> that's because it's but like I was like a lot of Scottish people would like you know for a full hour of of uh, you yeah. know it is we timorous beastie. It's a it's you know you've really got to tune your ear into yeah into hearing it well right? it's a, uh, i've seen it and it's it's largely dance and there's music and he's speaking alan cumming voice rather than oh okay uh, yeah, it's, it's oh, okay. not it's not huge amounts of of old scots poetry uh, so i think they weren't concentrating it's a brilliant oh. show <laughs> <laughs> uh, i was expecting ode to a louse or you know uh, that kind no, of no there, there's uh, he does do um scots way hey or you know that's just he does quite a dramatic bit with that uh, and it's just lots of his letters as well. And he, anyway, so don't, no, I don't go reviewing it. Uh, it's <laughs> yes, a, it's yeah. a very good performance. But um, anyway, so accents. So we've covered. Accents. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you said yours is BBC English. Well, I mean, I, I know my, I would say mine is a, everyone think, I think, I think everybody should think their accent is the standard and everything else is different. Yes. So I've never understand when people say, 
oh, you won't understand me here because I don't speak English. Yes, you do. You speak English, probably. It's just it's different from everybody else. But I think I've uh, fitted in with, uh, you know, being in court and being on BBC. But it's it's no good now because nobody wants my voice, <laughs> even on Radio 4. It's, uh, do you know? Oh, we want to move on from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I often wondered... I often wondered if I had this sort of voice, you know, like a Joanna Lumley type. Yes. yes. What, do, do you feel the energy change? Yeah. There's a frisson, you see, when yes. you... That's, this is the kind of voice I believe men in power like to hear. <laughs> do you, you know? Like a... Well, you're going it's a to... sexual frisson from Joanna. <laughs> yeah. You see, it's a, like she could, get, she could tell Boris off and I think he'd really... I think he'd probably enjoy it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, she but, managed to get all those pensions for the Gurkhas just by going... And, and uh, you know, a Gurkha campaigner saying, oh, we yeah. want more... Nothing but she... Oh, you must give... Uh, yeah. It's so, so unfair. This isn't just injustice. This is Marks and Spencer's injustice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a good voice to go for if you're going to change your accent. <laughs> Joanna Lumley is a good one. It yeah. would be that, or it would be like a received pronunciation. Uh, the other one, the BBC English, I would never forget i met a girl who, who came out of drama school and talked a little bit like a lamb <laughs> and, yeah. and then she got lots of um sort of stuff that was like sort of plays and radio plays and i was like oh, okay maybe i should just change my voice to yeah. this then <laughs> i think it sounds very 1940s it does it's very good <laughs> but, the, but what you're illustrating you can do a whole range of voices and accents so that's you, you, you should if you're a... fascinated with something you just you end up tuning into it i yeah. think and just becoming obsessed well it which strikes me is there's, there's the two elements you've got in, in when you can do different voices you've got to make the observation of what's going on work it out and then you've got to have the capacity to do it and not, not all not all of us can do that that's a, so that's that's a double skill you've got to have have you always had that skill were you one of those irritating children at school impersonating the the teachers and things like that? i did yeah, yeah. i think i was irrit i think i'm still irritating um, but uh, yeah, I do. And sometimes socially, and I don't know whether this is just a particularly female thing, but sometimes you pick up, because I live with a Scottish partner, you know, I'm in the house with him. So I find myself, uh-huh. And I'm sort of <laughs> slipping into a slightly yeah. Ayrshire kind of, yes. you know, if I'm around him and it, with his family. So I find my accent sort of ebbing away. <laughs> and yeah. then I get back to London, I'm like, here it is. Because my dad is Scottish, but he he's lost his accent, but retains his hatred for the English. So that's that's useful. <laughs> I um I, I used to do programs with John Session. We did Whose Line Is It Anyway? And we went to New York a couple of times to record things. I don't know why we would go, but John Session is a great mimic, and an, you know he can do all sorts of voices. And in New York, he just absorbed New York voices. So in concert, we were, we were recording stuff, and he had a he had a New York accent, which in in England or in in Britain it would have been. Impressive! Oh, John Sessions is doing that. Well, but in America, just oh, he's just talking normally. <laughs> so, John, what are you doing this for? Stop! And he wasn't really aware of it. He was just absorbing it as he as he went around. You you have to um, well, and for that, that's a slightly different thing. But I did a, a film last year, and I played an American in it, and I was so conscious that when I see clangy accents in films, I find it really upsetting. Mm. Someone sent me a clip the other day, and I'd never seen it before of Al Pacino doing Cockney, and by God. <laughs> <laughs> He kept talking about a, a dog. What did he say? Little tiny little Duchess hand. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, um, it was amazing. Yes. It was all about dog racing, and I'd never seen it before. And I was like, wow. And I think whoever put it up had put, we give Dick Van Dyke a lot of grief, yeah. but why is no one mentioning yeah. this? Um, so I, so with my accent, I did that thing. I became that actor that was a bit like. Ugh. So as soon as I got in the makeup chair, I was in my character's voice because especially if you're gonna. 
improvise or, or or play when you're you know recording stuff and you've got these long days if i kept coming out of it in between to like talk to the yeah. you know the spark or the the director of photography or whatever and come back to tiffany then i then it i immediately go back in and i've lost something you okay. lose like a certain percentage of it so you've got to so would it, you say you're a method imp impressionist i didn't think i actress? was i didn't think i was going to daniel day lewis it but i did um <laughs> i didn't stay in the swamp and go have lunch without me yeah um but uh i did yeah i tried to stay in the accent just to give myself because i don't want people to watch it and go oh what is that um, and I'm sure there'll be there'll be points, but there's just certain things, you know. And it's interesting because when people write it as well, you, I'm watching this show on Amazon Prime called The Boys, which is amazing. But they've got a Cockney character in it, and some of the stuff I'm like, please just get someone in from the UK. They don't even have to be from London. Yes. But they could tell you that they don't say things like twat. <laughs> no one in the UK says that word, you know. So well, um, I'll just leave it at that. You don't. Yeah, you don't yeah. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? Here? It's not. You a can say what you here, like. You can say what you like. But um, yeah, I, I, I would just. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to move on anyway because we've got to get through some more of these uh, wonders. Otherwise, well, I don't know what. But uh, I'd feel personally le letting myself down. So your third wonder is Frank Lloyd Wright. The architect. I assume that's who you mean. Uh, the, and this is another Frank Lloyd Wright. Frank Lloyd Wright. It's an ex-boyfriend of mine, actually. So we're going to do. Um, it could be a boxer. No, it's Fra Frank Lloyd Wright. So, so is it his? You're interested in architecture. You love his buildings. Something about him. What? All of those things. Um, I like how that got a mmm from the audience. <laughs> um, but I think what fascinates me about Frank Lloyd Wright, it, well, his journey, I think he grew up in like a, um, it, it, quite a working class sort of background and worked his way up from draftsman to, I think, stealing some of his boss's clients, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly from the stuff I've sort of read and watched. Um, and to become this this architect that was like pushing boundaries and then was completely dismissed in his sort of 40s and 50s and then came back to do his most iconic stuff in his 80s and 90s. So for me, that is like, ins that's so inspiring mm. that your best work is always in front of you because it's hard to see that sometimes. And it can be, especially coming up to, a I'm in my 40s, I come up to this festival and everyone's like, are you, is it your first show? We're not really interested yeah. unless like, well, you, do you want to do, you know, you want to get some press coverage or whatever? And you go, oh yeah, I'm not 20, mm. but like, I think I have something to offer. And we always see these, you know, 30 under 30 lists. And I'm like, what about 50 under 50 or <laughs> 60 over 60? Yeah. You know, I want to yeah. I want to find out what people are doing later and if they've changed entire careers. So he's he did the Guggenheim when he was 90 and he did Falling Water, I think, at 82. Yeah. So uh, that I'm fascinated with him. And I think he might have been a little bit of a what's I going to say problematic, I guess, is the word we'd currently use like. Um, he might not have been amazing to his ex-wife and, you know, so, um, but I, I, I kind of interested in looking at his, his work and his journey and the fact that he did so much late. Well, uh, on his personal life, it, it's almost back into the, the Fleetwood Mac territory because he did leave his wife um, and, and left her for somebody called Mama uh, Cheney who was then murdered by a servant and the whole building and sat on fire, which is, you know, in, in a sense, nothing to do with him, but it was a it was a tremendous tragedy in in everybody's life there. And then he had another wife who got married. He, he wasn't married to Mama, but then he married somebody else, and that he fell out with her. And then had a later wife with uh, very publicly with a third. So he had quite a a, a sort of rock starry kind of uh, range through Henry his, the Eighth approach. Yes, to, yes, yes. To um, 
to yeah. I think it was at Taliesin that happened that happened because then he yeah. also created this school of architecture and stuff as well. And I think the first time I ever sort of really was made aware of Frank Lloyd Wright it was actually Mike McShane. Um, oh right, another Hughes line man. Yeah, yes, yes. yeah. And um, I was I'd gone to uh, Los Angeles for the first time and I was in Los Feliz and he was like, "There's lots of Frank Lloyd Wright here," and he was sort of pointing out stuff to me. So then I, w I went away and just looked at, and I'd seen pictures of Falling Water before. And if you don't, lots of people might know it, but if you don't, it's a house in, I think it's like um, one of the, it's a, is it a wonder or a, it's a listed, not a listed it, building. It, what do they it, call it in America? It's sort of, uh, do you know, I had a note of this and I haven't, uh, oh, Falling Water. Yes. yes. It's, uh, uh, I haven't got the note of that. It's in the, jo the Johnson Wax Building did as well. Uh, anyway, so, it's so, like it, so it's a personal, interest. it's a private house, yes. but for a very, very wealthy person, it's a second home and, and it's built over a waterfall. It's yeah. built over a waterfall because he was like, how do I, we can't combat this. So we work with the waterfall, but I think it's like a open to the public now as a place of interest or whatever, like a yeah. heritage site. Yeah. Um, it's a museum there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's, yeah, it's in Pennsylvania and it's just, you see pictures of it and you kind of go, wow, that's, yes. you know, there's a brilliant mind that's come up with this and this most beautiful sort of house working with nature is part of nature. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was, I think, then I started researching that and I haven't been to see it yet. My plan was to in 2020, but oh. a little thing got in the way. Okay. So, um, but uh, yeah, so then I, that's, that's when I became fascinated and then looking at the Guggenheim and, yeah. and all of these other buildings, um, and the fact that, yeah, the fact that he was dismissed and and kind of told that what he was doing didn't really matter. Um, and he didn't let that, he didn't let that dissuade him from just going on and producing brilliance. And there was a sort of uh, a battle between, well, an argument, him and Le Corbusier, who is a much more, I don't know, more sort of brutal and dominating kind of architecture. He's, he believed in more organic growth and fitting in with what's there already, which I think is probably uh, more acceptable nowadays or it's, 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 it's got its way now hasn't it yeah and i think there was a um there was i don't know if there was it was as much a a, a rivalry but charles rennie mcintosh and 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 frank lloyd wright were sort of doing different you know opposite right. sides of the atlantic you know doing doing um like who who copied who i think they were like right. sort of no, I I, I, i'd be fascinated to know if they ever communicated and what that would be like these kind of you know these two men doing yeah you know amazing work um so yeah so I, I i you know i'd love to that would be a tv show i would love to watch the letters two of them writing letters so i'm just pitching tv I now think this I, is what i'm well that's uh, a very good pitch <laughs> maybe this may or may not be the people you need to pitch it to but uh, as a television would festival you watch at the it, end though? of the week would you watch it yeah. i'd watch it yes watch are it. you going around looking at um, at his buildings frank lloyd <laughs> white buildings and yeah. and rivals and taking in in Glasgow, assuming any of um, his buildings haven't burnt down recently, you can uh, do, do. So um, yes, so but and you, you never went into architecture. This is a, an enthusiasm. No. It's not. No, it's an enthusiasm, and I think maybe in another life I would have loved to have. I don't know whether I would would have had yeah. the talent and the ability yeah. to be able to, but and I am fascinated by buildings and their mark that they leave around them and what they represent. And yeah. So anyway, well, uh, yeah, another good story. Frank Lloyd, and he even had a song. Uh, about him by Paul Simon. There wasn't really about him, but his name's in the is in the title. He gets a mention. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So your fourth wonder is Maya Angelou. So we're, we're, we're back in America, but a different type of person altogether. Yes, I think I read, first read I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings in school. And it was one of those books that just kind of like opened up a whole new world, ideas, how... To, it, it, it gave a lot to me in terms of like... American history, I think, through the eyes of this one woman in Stamps, Arkansas. And, um, you know, obviously there's stuff about racism and segregation and um, the sort of hangover of sort of Jim Crow and stuff like that. Um, And she writes so beautifully and uh, there's an immediacy to her writing that you're completely in her world. And then... Aside from just the books, because there's like Gather Together in My Name and all, you know, I've read all of those. Um, and that's very much her journey through life. And then part of the civil rights movement later on and when she did um, Porgy and Bess and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but her poetry as well that, you know, you can you can tune into and it just becomes the most sort of uplifting, magical thing to if I'm having a down day, I'll reach for a piece of her, you know, even friends who have uh, funerals when great trees fall you know, she has something for, I feel like every human emotion and every moment, phenomenal woman yeah. that, that I that I look for. So I just love, and I love watching her speak. Um, she does an interview with Dave Chappelle and it's it's called Iconoclast. And it's it's so beautiful watching her speak to him and her, her continued like graciousness, even when awful things happen and how she's, she manages to see the humanity in people and mm. and um, the power of words. She talks about that quite a lot in how the, I know why the cage bird sings because she has an awful thing happen to her as a child and she doesn't want to tell anyone. She doesn't want to say the name of the man who's done it. And then she says the name and her uncles kill him yes. when he's let out of the courthouse. And then she has this thing of going, the power of my word took someone's life and she becomes mute for like a number of years and then goes on to be the person who's like creates all of the words and writes all yes. of the poems and all of the books. And so she always had this thing of like she believes words are things. They're like in the air. They're like objects and they have power. Mm. Um, and so, you know, and she talks about certain words of going, you know, you can you can you, there's words that, you know, are, are not nice words. And you can pour. I think she said something like you can pour poison in a in a crystal glass. It's still poison. So I just I'm, I'm fascinated to hear and, and no shame around about who she is and what she's done and where she got to in her life. I think she'd been nominated for a book prize 
and a journalist was uh, going to be talking to her about the book and she just sort of ambushed her by saying you were a prostitute. And then like how Maya Angelou handles that is so amazing. It was like, Maya was like, this was an attempt to sort of shame me for the fact that I'd been involved in, you know, what I'd done when I was younger. And she just kind of took it on and owned it and went, you can't, you can't shame me if I'm not shamed. (laughs) Like you don't have the power to do that. So I think she's, yeah, I think she's, you know, she's brilliant. And I, you know, I wish she was still here to be continuing to be brilliant. Well, I mean, to sort of summarize, she had a really, really, you know, difficult start in life, family life, you say, you know, abuse at home or more or less at home. And and then a rough life trying to to make a living, a bad early marriage as well. And yet that skill of writing was, uh, and skill with words was developing I don't know, despite that or because of that or because you had so many life experiences, would you say it's kind of a separate thing? Or um, No, I think it's all infused in yeah. her work. It's definitely, it's a, um, it's a huge, it's a huge part of who she is and how she, how she writes, I think. Um, and I think, actually, I, I like the kind of personal narrative of being able to see a movement and a moment in time through the eyes of, one individual and i think she sort of said as well her family in stamps the reason she'd gone to live with her grandmother was because they were quite middle like they owned a store yeah so actually she was she was like we weren't you know necessarily yeah yeah. Yeah. but she was also the first i think she was the first female conductress on the 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 they call it is it the trolley car street car yeah Yeah. Yeah. in i think in st louis like she she was the first like she went to go and try and get this job and they kept saying no, and they kept saying no, and she persevered. And so, you know, she's she's someone who just she she used to dance calypso in clubs, and then yeah. coming through with people like Phyllis Diller and stuff at the Purple Onion. And so yeah. there's comedy intertwined with yes. with all of that as well. So just like I can't recommend highly enough, like reading all of her books. I like uh, I, I just I liked she had a ritual for writing. So she said, I've got no idea. She had a writing ritual for many years. She would wake early in the morning and check into her hotel room yes. where the staff were instructed to remove any pictures from the walls. She would write on legal pads while lying on the bed with only a bottle of sherry, a deck of cards to play solitaire, Roger's Thesaurus, and the Bible, and would leave by the early afternoon. So Brilliant. The, the bits I like there are the bottle of sherry and the leaving by early afternoon. I think that's it. But uh, that's fantastic. She had a, a discipline that uh, suited her down to the ground. Yes. Okay. All right. So I understand why uh, she is one of your wonders. Uh, but number five, charity shops slash fashion. Uh, are, oh. you, are these two different things you couldn't decide between uh, well, them? Or is this your fashion come from I, charity shops? I like I... fashion and charity shops. I like going and looking in. But also, I'm, I'm fascinated by people. So there's a few things I get out of charity shops. I like buying I like buying clothes from there and, you know, like little, especially like homemade jumpers and knitted jumpers that you go, I don't know what the, half the time you're like, I don't know what this is what this scene's supposed to represent yeah. but I'm having it and I'm going to wear it at Christmas it's a Christmas jumper I'm going to wear mm. um, but also you see stuff that's left in there and you go who owned this what was it for and I just imagine the person behind it I've, I've bought like a garage sale in New York New York I just bought a box of old photographs so people had obviously done house clearances and I was just like who are these people and what yeah. were their lives like and I try and sort of imagine 
their backstory based on either an item that I've got from the charity shop. You, no, I, I, can't, I cannot uh, agree with this. You're going to a charity shop and buying other people's old box of photographs. These are the sort of things you want to clear out of your own house to, to de declutter the place. Bring other people's clutter home with you. This is madness. Oh, no. No, I'm obsessed. I'm upset. You, you, have you never stumbled across something that someone's left somewhere and gone, who left that? Like, who was reading this book? Or, or yeah. whose was this? And... And so I, I'm just, I'm fascinated by pe people. Um, there's one photo of a very annoyed, a black and white photo of a very annoyed woman in the pile of, and I was just like, what was the moments that led up to that? She wasn't ready for the photo. Just I don't stop know. Stop taking my photograph. Yeah. yeah. And don't keep it lying around the house for years and years and years. <laughs> and it'll end up in yeah. a garage sale in yeah. New York. And this, uh, this Cockney woman's going to get hold of it. And, and you know, but yeah, I, I just, because you get spectacular tat. Someone put up a picture this morning of one of the ones on Nicholson Street has a pair of slippers with uh, um, the Queen and, and Philip on either side yeah. in bed with a Union Jack blanket. And I'm like, who bought those for someone? <laughs> who bought, I mean, someone obviously went, these are ridiculous, have them at the yeah. charity shop. But you just, I'm, I'm fascinated by what's behind that. Like for me, like it's almost like meditative for me walking around charity shops, because mm. I'll just, like I know what I like, what I might want to buy, and then I look at stuff that I go, I don't know why this exists, and and who who I it was um I found a statue once in one in in L.A. that just said "Dirty old men need love too," and it was like a little yeah. figurine, and I was like, yeah. someone bought that for some. I mean, presumably a dirty old man, yeah. um, but I was like, who's going to have this on display in their house? And um, did you buy it and put it on display <laughs> yes. in your house? Well, you is the answer. <laughs> Actually, my friend bought it for me because she thought it was so funny. But I'll also go around looking for like, I like looking for brooches. Or I'm often trying to find suffragette brooches and stuff like that, you know, like old jewellery and all of that kind mm. of thing. I'm, I'm fascinated with to know that stuff, I like pre-love stuff and secondhand stuff to know that something's lived and had a life before it's got to me. Um, you know, I, I get my fair share of new stuff as well, but... Okay. Yeah, there's things that I like. You've mentioned America a lot in all of these wonders. Do you yeah. spend a lot of time in America? A fair bit, yeah. I mean, I I um I was uh, sort of I moved there in February 2020. <laughs> <laughs> As in I rented an apartment yes. in in Hollywood Dell. And was and, that in order to pursue your film career? Well, in, yeah, in I had I had a 3-year visa which um just got eaten up by the uh, the pandemic, so, you know, and look People but weren't you on hand to do all the British accents for, you know, for all the actors and actresses <laughs> who couldn't get out there? Yeah, anymore, well, I came. So what happened was I got the place in February 2020 and then I came back in March for a couple of weeks to do a TV thing, some shows in the UK. And then that was it. I couldn't get back out there. So it just I furnished this little place and gone. OK, well, we're here. We're doing this now. And it was mad also because I turned 40, dyed my hair pink and moved to Los Angeles. And I think mm. uh, if I was a man, people would have gone, that's a midlife crisis. Yes. Um, but I'm a woman, so they went, is she having a breakdown? I think she might be having a breakdown. <laughs> um, so uh, they're very different things. But uh, yeah, so... Um, so have I, you still got the apartment there waiting for I, you? And I two get, weeks I left to, on your visa? Or? Yeah, no, the visa ran out before the travel ban was lifted. So I'm just doing all of that, which is... This is the admin of my life. I'm sure you're very interested. Um, but yeah, so I, um, I'm applying for a new one now. But yeah, I, I just sort of had to let it go. I had to let my apartment go. And um, yeah, you know, 
cry me a river. You're like, cry me a river, <laughs> Tiffany. We all, we're all in a pandemic. But yes, I like it out there. I'm fascinated and fascinated. Also, America is such a, a fascinating place because, you know, you state to state is kind of like the Wild West, like how people, what the rules are, local government, you mm. know, you, you can't have an idea of America as a place because it's so individual and separate. So traveling around and you can go, oh, I've done all these coastal places yeah. and America's really liberal. And then you go somewhere else and you go, no, it's not. Yeah. Um, or or you you know how, how much a part of life is, is defined by, you know, I've been in places like Louisiana and that's fascinating as well. It's not on my list, but um, yeah, it's that's all separated by, there's no state lines, it's parishes. Okay. So it's a very religious place. Yes. And they have uh, something called open carry discount there, which is if you have a gun, you get 10% off in the shops. <laughs> 100% if you want. Yes, I can <laughs> say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so. Okay. Um, all right. Well, that's, that's charity shops and, and, and America. Um, so sixth wonder, uh, birds of prey. Yeah. And I, you, now we're, you're ranging around a lot of different things. So birds of prey. So do you... Uh, is it Birds of Prey as in, you know, as in the movie Kez? Or you like um, seeing them flying around? <laughs> and you're a twitcher, you go, or, or I'm or a what? bit of a twitcher. I love that you, your reference for Birds of Prey was the film Kez and not the recent Margot Robbie one. I like that. <laughs> um, uh, but yes, I, I like, um, I'm sort of fascinated. Oh, okay, well, there you go. Louisiana. When I was in Louisiana, because I love Birds of Prey, they have something called a turkey vulture. And there's a lot of turkey vultures and they, they actually vomit as a form of self-defense, which I can appreciate. Yes. Um, so they it's turkey vulture vomit is all over the roads and stuff. You'll go around Louisiana and you'll see this. And they're pretty like ugly looking birds, to be well, fair. In what circumstances do they... They're defending themselves from what? Um, an attack. From a, another bird, from a human? Yes, yeah. From a car whatever. driving towards it? They yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as yes. a form of defence. Yeah. yeah, I think people try it on the streets around here. Time as well. It would appear the Royal Mile yeah. late at night. Yeah, yes. I've seen a few people um, apparently getting into a row with a bin. So yeah. Um, yeah, so I I first sort of got into it. I think when I was driving in my car down sort of the A40 or the M40 along that corridor, there's a lot of red kites about. So, like in recent years, they've, they've, there's a lot. They've come a, back. They've come they? back. Yeah. And so from underneath, they're very, very distinctive birds because they have this, this sort of red barring down the side and a fork tail, you know. Yes. Um, not all kites do. I thought they did, but not all uh, not all kites do. And uh, But yeah, you can see them and they're like, um, you know, uh, beautiful. So I became fascinated and just looking up different birds. And, you know, I've, I'll go to like a bird of... I, I, I mean, I've been to a few... Um, hides but it's not i normally go to a place where they've got like there's one at, at loch lomond there's a, a bird of prey center there mm. and you can go and see a golden eagle and yes and uh like peregrine fal falcons which i've seen a few times out and about driving up the uh up the m6 actually i think i saw that was where i last saw so i i just started doing this thing where i'm looking for the tail shapes and that's how you can recognize them in flight yeah and i try and take photos and and uh, see if I can recognise the calls. But I'm not great at it, but I have a friend who is a Twitcher, so if I'm not sure, if I don't, I can't quite figure it out, he'll, he'll tell me. They're, they're, they're particularly hard, actually, birds of prey, because they're generally, you know, a single one or two quite a long way away. And then you convince yourself you've seen something. People often see buzzards in the highlands, and they, and they oh, that's a golden eagle. 
And uh, if you say it was a golden eagle, then there's nobody to say it wasn't. It's yes, just, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and same with all these various things. If you're, you're obviously, you know, a little way down the line, so you've got these points. Uh, but you, you can't ever absolutely co corroborate that you've got it right, can you? Well, no, I suppose. I mean, buzzards have distinct, like, sort of distincting, this sort of brown and all right. brown and beige sort of barring sometimes. But then that could also be confused with other birds. Yeah. So I think I can tell a buzzard, but maybe not. Uh, sea eagles. Oh yes. Are like, or they call them flying barn doors. They're like, yeah, huge, huge birds. Yes. And the ones that I really want to see, but I, I would have to go to the um, uh, is the condor and Dean condor, I think which are huge, huge, yeah. huge birds. And they have this thing, it looks like they're wearing a fur collar. They have that, this ruff around their yeah. neck. Um, and, uh, and, and it's quite, you know, it make, kind of makes them look like they're in Blackadder. Yeah. Like this kind of like, it almost looks like they've got makeup on and a big rough collar. So um, yeah, I'm just, they're, they're, they're through all kinds of mythology, aren't they? And, um, and I just, you know, just seeing them, they're majestic to look at. And um, yeah, I'm fascinated by, you know, by them i had a success once with a white-tailed eagle i was doing a program which was a walk it was a program you walk with your dog and then they film you walking the dog i can't remember which channel it was on but they was there well they weren't super confident it was a great you know watch because they they had you do two people did two different walks and they you went between the two walks so I just had to make, take my dog along and then we went out to see somebody who was in charge of or supervising the reintroduction of white-tailed eagles on mull so we set up the a shot of me to walk down to meet the guy in the middle of the, be the beach and uh, we're waiting there and then a bird flew over and we weren't with the expert yet and we said well, that, well that's one isn't it isn't that one because he'd said before we met oh they probably won't they don't really like flying around much when it's sort of damp weather and we thought well that's a bit of an odd part of the world the west coast of scotland to <laughs> reintroduce them but so we thought well that we are well we'll, we'll anyway we filmed it anyway and then we walked down to and he said oh yeah that's right that that was a white tail so i'm talking to him as the expert and I, it was like being at a cocktail party when you're looking over the shoulder of somebody and because I, I looked over his shoulder and it was coming back the way with with a fish in its claw you know with a claw oh, wow. and we got two great and, and nobody would have believed because normally you have to spend weeks you know hiding waiting to get these we got them just by turning up even we shot him even before the thing had really begun, and then again in the middle of the conversation. But whether people were impressed, I don't know. But they, I, they I think been. they would be. They should be. Yeah. They should have been. Yes. I saw yeah. an osprey, I think, at Inverary, and that yeah. was quite exciting. Yeah. So you know, I just sometimes remember places by seeing, you know, what I might see. Right. But, uh, yeah. The most common one I see is is red kites because that they're the ones near where I live. But also, I like the cheekiness of a red kite. There's lots of stories about them swooping in and nicking sausages off barbecues and stuff like that. Yes. So, although I did take someone's small dog, <laughs> this woman said I think she had like a little Pomeranian and she was in the park with it and she just saw this like oh. kind of shadow pass over her. Yes. And then the, the, you know, the red kite had picked it up and she had to sort of wrestle the dog back. And then she said two days later it was there again. And I was like, I, maybe go to a different park? <laughs> I don't know. Get a bigger I don't want to be too yeah. too judgmental, but uh, if your dogs just had a run in with a with a, they are quite a lot when they like kind of yeah. you know if you've ever been to a bird of prey center and you see them out they like you know they throw the meat for the birds to catch and yeah. you know like they're quite scary coming at you. There was a time I had two dogs. One was a Newfoundland and one was a West Highland White Terrier, and we had crows around my way in London, and the crows would would dive bomb dogs, and the Newfoundland was a rather 
well, a feeble dog from that point. And she would shy away and run home if attacked by the crows. The West Highland White would just go, <laughs> and they would go away. As, as he did that to any <laughs> other animal ever came near him. Big dog, horse, cow, bull. I've told this before, but he was a, he was a fabulous dog. And uh, how he had the personality to, or dog, dogality to just drive people away by going, <laughs> like that. I wish I had that power. Anyway, well, birds of prey. Ravens, well, they remember, I think. Is it ravens or crows? Someone who's more expert on birds will know yeah. that they recognise facial features or oh. features and they have memories and they hold a grudge. So I feel very connected to that. Okay. Um. Anyway, you, you find them uh, birds of prey. Uh, yes. Wonderful. Yes. Uh, just though, you don't, you're the smaller birds. Oh, you're not, I, love you're not, all, I love all kinds okay. of birds, but I think there's or, something... Exciting and dangerous about the birds. We brain. are, we are. So we got one final wonder to do, and it's the High Line in New York City, another American thing, New yes. York City. So this is a, a former uh, former railway track that is now a walkway. Yes, and basically you can uh, walk along and see just a lot of New York at an elevated uh, thing, and then you just see all different people from all parts of New York walking along there. Hence the, um, you know, earlier on when I was talking about the tour guide, that was on the High Line. So yes. he was he had his little walking group. So and there's plants and there's flowers and then there's, you know, street art and graffiti and you can see things that used to be obviously clearly factories that are now people's apartments. And if you're nosy like I am, I think that's what we've discovered with yeah. my charity shops and my old photographs, you can wander along the high line and see into people's living rooms. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can see the Hudson and you can see bits of New York. You can see there's a cafe in the, um, is it Frankie and Johnny from that film? That's like kind of walking along there. So you can get all of these like film locations and stuff like that, just walking along. And it's what what I love about it is completely free. So, you know, just completely free to go and just see New York uh, in a way that you, you know, that you, you might not have known about otherwise. You sort of, I always sort of get on down by Chelsea and then walk along and, yeah, taking as much as I can of the city. I love New York. I'm, mm. uh, it's a fascinating place to me. And um, I love, like, the, I love the breadth of the architecture, the people, the, all the different people, you know, good, bad, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, the High Line just is a chance to... I, w- I sort of wish we had something like it in London. I think there was an attempt, wasn't there? A few, few oh, there was going to be a garden to... bridge they were going to build. I think that was one of Boris's ideas. Yep. Um, and in, on Joanna Lumley, actually. Yes. Uh, Joanna uh, Lumley uh, and Boris tied back in together. Yeah. And there is a railway line that goes from Finsbury Park, or used to go from Finsbury Park to Alexandra Palace, and that's a walkway as well. Yes, the that's uh, quite park, sub- yeah. park walk. Yes, but that's I sp- rather more suburban, I suppose, than, than the one you're talking about in New York, which is Manhattan, isn't it? So, yes, yeah, yeah. There is a bit of that park walk uh where you it does kind of because i live in muswell Hill, it does sort of open out onto you can kind of see out across london and you can see the shard and stuff like that but it's it's not quite as it's not like in the midst of like if we had something like that in soho probably uh or even you know around that sort of way it would be that would be quite something right i think all cities should have these extra bits of linear parks and things in it most of them have got abandoned railways or things like that yeah and that it's free and that everyone can come and people do little projects and stuff there as well look look Tiff, we've come to the end gone beyond the end uh thank you for sharing your seven wonders with me i now have to choose the wonder of wonders from your list of seven the one which struck me as particularly wonderful as you described it on this podcast and they've all been fascinated in their own way a rather eclectic mix 
Uh, but I think I should, just in loyalty to the uh, the track that we aren't using, uh, I think I should go with Fleetwood Mac, because I think you made a very good case for them being the, the rock group of rock groups and therefore your wonder of wonders. But thank you very much, Tiff Stevenson. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of My Seven Wonders, it would be wonderful if you could rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Thank you for listening. My Seven Wonders with Clive Anderson is a stack production in association with Alaska TV and powered by the Acast Creator Network. 